welcome, even though this is not my event. But, uh, it's always your course. event, baby. It's always my event, no. Um, I'm Ashley Blair. I'm chair of Communication <laughs> Arts. And so uh, one of the greatest things I ever got to do in life was bring Ted Cluck to Union. <laughs> I was a small part of that. And so uh, he has been an incredible part of our program and our faculty. And, of course, one of the great things we love is um, all of the work that he produces in, in, in various ways. And we're very excited also to have his collaborator um, here tonight. So, yeah, welcome. And I'll, I'll just leave it to y'all. Let's clap it up for Abe Blair. <laughs> and I want to say... First of all, thank you for coming. And second of all, you know, she mentioned in the introduction that we get to work together. And one of the reasons why professors in COM are able to do things like write books and put out products and stay active in our fields uh, is that we have the, the Jedi master of department chairs over here who truly makes life easy for us in so many ways. Uh, that's not the case for everybody across campus, but it's the case for us. And uh, super, super grateful. She encourages us to be creative um, and to keep hustling. And it's a huge blessing for me to work here, to work for you. Uh, I've loved it. So thanks for being who you are. And uh, it's a blessing to be able to do this again. We did this like three years ago when I launched an essay collection. Uh, and now we're back for a kid's book, um, which this is the book that I've really always wanted to write. And I've always wanted to write it with this artist. This is Megan Barada, and Megan kind of drifted through our transom a few years ago because I was hosting a podcast that she listened to. Um, I mentioned on the show that I wanted a picture of myself astride a horse um, <laughs> because I was referencing Brad Pitt's Legends of the Fall and, and how amazing Brad looked when he like rode around the corner in the three-piece suit, the hair's yes. flowing. Yes. Uh, it's an incredible scene if you've seen the movie. If you haven't, you can imagine how magnificent that looked. But hey, guys, come, come over here. Um, so I mentioned this casually on the air. And then like a month later, I get a package at my house. And it's a coffee mug with a picture of me riding a horse looking like Brad, looking like a stud. And uh, I was like, who is this Megan Barada? She must be the world's greatest artist. So she has kept us in good artwork and has really become a friend to me, a friend of the company, a friend of my podcast. And when it came time to do uh, this third book in this series, uh, I reached out to Megan and she graciously said yes. And we got to do a book together, um, which if you're in my program at all, if you take my classes and study writing with me, I think one of the things that I say often is that all I've ever wanted out of life was to be able to make product with my friends, right? And I'm old now, like I'm middle age, I'm mid-career. The blinders are off in terms of like what the business is. I think I've done like 30 books. Um, so I've kind of had every experience in publishing that you can have. But uh, about 12 years ago, I met a guy um, at a book signing. Back when book signings were kind of like the standard thing that would happen with marketing and publishing. And uh, I was at a, a Barnes & Noble, I think, right, in Okemos. And um, I was doing the signing. And there's a dude sitting on the first row. And he kept asking questions, like really insightful questions, good questions uh, about the book. And we ended up chatting afterward. We ended up going to lunch like a day or two later. And he, he dinged the door of my car. Um, <laughs> and we've been best friends ever since. Uh, that's Zachary Bartles, uh, my, my co-owner of Gut Check Press, my friend in publishing. 
collaborator on many projects and a podcast. And um, Zach's kind of been part of this creative journey of making products with friends, right? Which you don't always get to do in traditional publishing when you're working with companies and editors and uh, people who kind of move the bullseye of what a fun project is, right? But when we work together, uh, it's always 100% the way we want it. Uh, we laugh, we have fun, we never get mad at each other. Um, we enjoy our collaborator. And this is the book that I've always wanted to write um, because I grew up in the 80s and 90s in public school. And part of the experience of growing up in public school is you got to read all these books, uh, these young kind of middle school age, young adult type fiction where there's always a boy and his dog. And the boy and his dog enjoy a rich relationship until the third act of the book where they kill the dog off. And this always wrecked me emotionally because I'm a sensitive guy, right? Like these guys know, they, they take my class. I cry at the drop of a hat, man. Like a cat walks across the room, I'm crying. Guy plays catch with his kid, I'm crying, you know? And uh, this would always happen in the third act of these books and it always made me so mad. And when I became a writer, you know, doing all these books and doing work for ESPN in the early years and then writing a book about Tyson and writing the books about the church. I always in the back of my mind said, I'm going to write a book for kids where the dog lives and I'm going to call it the dog lives so that from, from page one, minute one, the reader can feel safe and assured that they're not going to have their favorite character killed off. So that's what this book is. Um, it's called flex three, the dog lives, uh, spoilers. The dog is actually a cat. Um, because I'm a cat guy. I'm a huge cat guy. I have two myself. Um, I have an indoor cat and an outdoor cat. And this book is based on really all things that happen in real life, right? So my fiction is pretty largely grounded in stuff that's happened to my family. And so these characters are kind of uh, homages to different people. And at times, the, the Mimi and Pops character in the book is me and KK. Uh, this is my wife, KK. Let's clap it up for Kristen. Um, not only like a crazy, talented artist herself, but um, the best kind of support system for a writer in that uh, she reads my work, it makes her laugh, um, which makes me feel really good. And uh, that's a, a nice dynamic. We've been on some, some wild rides together, but... Uh, so at times the, the husband and the wife are me and KK. Sometimes I'm flex. Sometimes I'm a little kid. Sometimes Tristan is flex. Uh, depending on the story that we're telling in the book, um, there's a sweet scene in here of Pops, the dad, making mac and cheese in the middle of the night for flex. Uh, and that was my dad. Um, that was something that he would always do for me. So um, these books, increasingly the older I get, they just become sweet homages to people. Uh, people that I want to give the old hat tip to. I uh, give a little hat tip to our church, Cornerstone Community Church, uh, which is a, a tier one, just a lifetime church. Uh, absolutely adore it. Um, and this, this story came about because one night KK had a bunch of ladies over. And uh, the thing that KK and her friends do is they talk. Uh, and they talk and they talk and they talk. And then they get on Marco Polo and they talk. And they talk via text. And... Um, one thing that I've become increasingly paranoid about the older I get is the cat getting away. We have a cat, beautiful indoor cat named Jane, Jane Cluck. Um, I love Jane. And I think any of you who have pets know that you love them with an unbridled part of your heart, right? Uh, human relationships are often complicated and complex, but uh, the way we love our pets is, is with the pure love of a child. 
Uh, and that's how I love Jane. Like we're silly with our pets, right? I let her lick my face and uh, I just love her like that. And one night she's talking with her friends and the friends all leave. We close the door and then she's like, oh my gosh, I can't find Jane. Um, and for like seven minutes, we freaked out. And we ran the whole emotional spectrum of like anger and despair and like holding each other. And then Jane was under the bed and it was all good. Um, but then I was like, this has got to be, this is it, right? This is the story that's going to kick off Flex 3, The Dog Lives. So uh, in the book, Flex loses his cat. Uh, the cat has to spend a couple of nights out in the wild. She learned some things. Flex learned some things. And it's really kind of about can we trust a God that says he's good, even when circumstances are bad. Um, so even though the reader knows everything is going to work out, it's still kind of a book about grief. Uh, it's a book about family. It's a book about friendship. Uh, and it's really a book about whether or not the Lord is trustworthy. And he's been trustworthy in our lives um, through good times, through bad times. Uh, even if Jane had been lost, he would still be good. He would still be worthy of our praise and worship. And he's really been kind in giving me a career and letting me do this uh, and letting me do it with friends, uh, letting me do it with friends like y'all. Um, it's a small thing, right? And you get to this age and you go to a bookstore or you, um, I don't know, we're just aware of things in the world and you realize what a tiny thing this is. But um, it's a good thing because it brings us together and we get to see our friends and that's always worth something. So I want to throw it to Megan and I want to introduce Megan by saying that the artwork that she produced for Flex 3 has a certain kind of Rockwellian timelessness about it in that we didn't, we didn't exactly ask for cat pictures or people pictures that could work in the 50s or work in the 90s or work in the now. But um, one of the things I think you did in an amazing way is make timeless pictures for this book. And I've always been a let the talent cook kind of person where I do my part and I just throw it to you. And the joyful thing is seeing what you, what you send back. And we're not like editing each other, critiquing each other as much as we're just like celebrating each other's talents. And uh, I love what you did. So Megan, talk a little bit. I'm going to stop bloviating, but this is what I bloviate professionally. So uh, I'm going to ask Megan a question and then I'm going to open it up to you guys for questions. Um, and then we have books to sell. So we got a bunch of copies of this. Uh, we have some copies of the Happy Rant essay collection, uh, which I did with these two guys that I host a podcast with, and then some copies of an adoption memoir. Everything's 10 bucks. Um, but Megan, what was it like, I guess, seeing a story and getting all, what, 25, 30,000 words of it, and then trying to come up with visuals for it, not really knowing the, the characters beyond what I'd written? Yeah, um, well... Like you said, you had a very hands-off approach, and so that was, like, as a creative, that's, like, the best kind of parameters mm -hmm. to have because I didn't feel, like, you know, restricted or anything. So, um, really, like, when I read uh, your writing, uh, the images, like, were very, they just came pretty effortlessly, actually. Yeah. Um, especially all the, like, little funny moments. I knew, like, details I could include. Um, so that was a lot of fun to just take all the little details and funny things and like make them visual just to pair with the with the text. I remember when you asked for pictures of my cats, and I was yeah. like, "Oh boy, I've only got about twelve hundred of those. <laughs> let's uh, let's true. try to narrow it down." But 
you did an amazing job like recreating Jane and Shulam. Yeah, I wanted to make sure because I knew you had a cat. I figured it was mm -hmm. based loosely on that, so I, I tried to, to yeah. shape uh, the dog on Jane. So she's she's gray. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and then as far as the design for Flex, I kind of I have three nephews who are also fans of these books, so I kind of loosely base them on uh, uh, that design. I kept him blonde from the other two, just mm -hmm. to have some continuity. But no, that was great. Really, yeah. Yeah, so I did the other two with a different publisher, and um, you know we we came up with the idea of flex because that was my nickname in college. Um, because <laughs> are we telling it, dude? Have I told this on the pod? It's embarrassing. It makes me look like a a certain kind of terrible guy. But um, I played football and I worked out a lot. And every time I would walk by a mirror, apparently <laughs> I, would, I would flex in it a little bit, right? And so they, they called me Flex. And um, when it came time to name the character, I was like, Ted, eh, boring. Uh, but Flex from, from college, that was something we could do something with. So um, did the first two with another publisher and we got to do this one exactly the way we wanted it. And uh, in doing that, I got to write in a little homage to my boy here, to Zach, uh, and I'll read a couple of pages of this and a couple of pages of the ending, but um, one of the things that Zach is amazing for is that whenever I'm glum, uh, he, he senses this, he intuits it without me even having to say, uh, and then he brings me up. And one of the ways functionally, which we used to do this when we were together living in the same metro area, is uh, also a little embarrassing. We would go antiquing together. So, um, two grown men driving to Bay City and uh, enjoying the Bay City antiquing scene together. And uh, so we, we got to throw in a little homage to that. We got a little antiquing scene in here where Flex ac accidentally shares the gospel with his atheist English teacher who's based on an atheist English teacher that I had in, uh, in high school who wasn't nearly as nice as the guy in the book. But um, So we got a li little antiquing content in there. Um, a lot of cat content. Should should I read this? Does it work at a at a like a fiction book signing to just read random pages? What are we thinking? All right. So let me give me a minute to to look through this. There's a hipster mouse in here named Jagger, because of course. Um, there's a bistro called Allergy, um, which is where they meet the hipster mouse. Um, that's a fun time. <laughs> what should I read, Meg? There's an army of 12-year-old girls called the Caitlins. Um, they all wear leggings and ba baggy shirts, and they ride BMX bikes. Um, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. Um, okay. Yeah. Also, I, I got to put a shout out to my Lane College football players in here. Um, I coach football at Lane College, and uh, in kind of the final scene where everybody comes and helps Flex uh, look for his cat, the Lane guys pull up. So I got to give some shout outs by name to those guys, which was real fun. Um, all right, let's start here. So this is that scene. Sitting with mom and KK on the porch, I feel hopeful for the first time since the dog left. Mimi is sipping her tea, and KK is texting some people. Nobody is really saying anything, but it's a perfect night out, 
I scan the horizon always looking for the dog. Because it's evening and football practice is over, Pops wheels into the driveway in his vintage Cadillac DeVille. Except this time, he's got some people with him. Some huge, scary-looking dudes begin to pile out of the caddy. They're all wearing Lane College football t-shirts. Lane is the school where Pops is an assistant coach. Hey, Flex, he says. You remember Kevin G. and Billings. Hey, Flex, they both say. I'm really sorry about your cat, but we're going to help you find him. I can't believe this. These guys are like human gods to me. All I want in the world is to be a college football player like them. Finally, a last guy unfolds his huge, muscular frame out of the back of the caddy. Flex, I want you to meet the J-Train, Justin Hill, Pop says. Leading rusher in the SEAC last year. J-Train is Lane's star running back, and he'll probably play in the NFL. His traps look like two mountains. J-Train pulls me in for a bro hug. I'm a cat man too, Flex, Train explains. I have two myself. <laughs> I can't imagine how sad you must be. He turns to the other players. Fellas, let's go find us a cat. They follow him because he's the J-Train, and who wouldn't? I can't believe how nice these guys are. I bury my face in Pops' chest and cry for a minute. These guys are so cool. Pops wraps me in a warm embrace and in one swift motion dries my eyes on his lane hoodie so that no one else will see the tears. As always, he's thinking of me first. Just then, what looks like a dozen eighth grade girls come charging up on their bikes. I texted some friends, Flex, says KK. I hope you don't mind. They're like an army whose uniform is stretch pants, baggy pastel t-shirts, and white tennis shoes. An army of Caitlin's and Marissa's. <laughs> Zach rolls up on his bike. What about swim practice, I ask. <laughs> oh no, I've got swim practice today. <laughs> he says sing-songy, doing the thing where he pretends to strum an air guitar, which hangs down by his thigh. I'm just kidding, I skipped. I didn't want to miss it when you guys find the dog. He has an assortment of cat treats bulging out of his pockets. Um, that's an homage to a song that Zach wrote and recorded when he was in college. Uh, and he was a, in a band called Couch. And the song was about having swim practice and play practice on the same day and how stressful that was for him. <laughs> we've, uh, we've laughed about it often. Um, so that's a little bit of Flex 3, The Dog Lives. I've bloviated long enough. Let's let you guys talk. Um, questions for Megan or myself about this, about writing graphic novels, about writing anything, about being a cat owner? Uh, fire away. You have the floor. Over here. Yeah. Also, can you repeat people's questions for the recording? I can, um, yeah. I'm wondering when Megan knew that she wanted to be a artist and illustrator as her vocation. I love it. The question is, when did Megan know that she wanted to be an artist slash illustrator for her, her vocation? Good question. Um, yeah, good question. Um, I was in college, uh, and I had to take, it was a liberal arts college, uh, Houghton. We're, oh, Houghton. Yeah, okay. Houghton. Uh, shout out to Houghton College. Mm -hmm. um, and I took an art class, and I'd always loved drawing, and I would do cartoons in the margins of my homework. And I love Calvin and Hobbes. That was like the pinnacle of artwork for me. <laughs> um, but I just didn't think I could do anything with it. Um, my dad is actually a fine artist, and he sells paintings and stuff. But I didn't, I didn't want to go into that arena. It seemed too intense. Um, 
but I had some really great art professors that encouraged me to keep it going. Um, I was an English major, and so I just added an art major. And then it was in that course of study, I learned about illustration, and it just seemed like a good fit of more like cartoons, illustrated, it was a little more whimsical and lighthearted. So that's what I decided to pursue. I can imagine that would be a tough thing, much like writing, to kind of keep banging away at until you break through. Um, what gave you sort of, hey Alcazar, good to see you baby, um, what gave you the confidence to keep going, like in the early years before stuff started to pop? Um, well, my professors, again, were really encouraging, um, and also my, my dad too, he's an artist and he, he's a, a critic, but a good critic, and um, he would also be very encouraging too. So I always felt like I could trust his taste. And if he thought it was good, then I felt confident. And so that kind of helped me to keep going. Yeah. Um, There's an interesting thing with artists and writers, and I try to convey this to my students in some form or fashion, where you got to be a humble enough person to take criticism and really internalize it and let it make you better, which can be hard to do, especially when you're young. But for writers especially, and I'm guessing for visual artists too, you've got to have also this kind of ironclad belief that you're good and you can do it. And when you do something that you know works, um, you know, you don't waver from it. And I, I think that's what you did. I mean, I definitely see it in your work. And it's what I've gotten better at doing over the years. I think early in my career, to my shame, I had a kind of contentious relationship with editors, at least in my own heart, if not you know, verbally. And, um, you know, I've really had editors that have leveled up books and made them better um, without wavering from, like, the stuff that I know that works. Um, other questions? That was good. Yeah. Hey, um, did you know the plot from beginning to end when you started, or did you have, like, along the way some things that you thought happened when you weren't feeling and you decided not to go that way? And yeah. Good, that is such a good question. I think every writer's different. The question was, did you know the plot from top to bottom when you started? The answer is no. Um, I'm not a plot guy at all. Uh, I'm very much a, hey, Jake, uh, I'm very much a character guy. So I knew that I wanted Zach in the book. I knew I wanted young KK and Flex uh, and Mimi and Pops and these two cats. And what I do, I don't know if it works for every writer. You guys could speak to this, but... I just start writing like the fun scenes first, like the scenes that I know are heaters and that I know are fun and that I know will either reveal character or move the plot. Uh, I'll write those scenes first. And then along the way, I start to fit them together. And then probably two thirds of the way through the book, I knew I wanted to put in like an homage to this. There's this old tank in my hometown, like an armory tank and I wanted to put that in there because I used to play on it as a kid, me and my friend Mitch. Uh, so I wrote the scene of, of the cat like chilling under the tank, and that's when I knew I could get her home. Uh, so she meets Shulam, who's this like uh, world-weary, old, beat-up outdoor cat, and his job in the book is to like help get people home, to help get cats home. Um, so she meets up with Shulam. Uh, he helps get her home, and I knew as soon as I introduced him that... I would have an ending and the ending would involve Flex's dad praying and reiterating God's goodness regardless of what happens 
and then I would have the cat come home. Uh, and I would have Shulam stay because one of the one of the kind of B stories in the book was Shulam never wanted a home, uh, but she gets Shulam to to stay, and it's kind of sweet. But yeah, good question. Others, Trudes. So, as a writer whose like, writing style already focuses heavily on relatability and humor, yeah, what's the what's the biggest jump for you? What's the biggest difference between writing for um, I don't know. That's a really, what's, oh yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> the question was, being somebody who trades on relatability and kind of built the career on nonfiction and being knowable to adult audiences, how do I sort of dial that down or dial it back so that I could be relatable to kid audiences? On some level, it wasn't that hard because I think in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I've never stopped being an adolescent boy. Like, my humor is pretty, <laughs> it's pretty lowbrow. Um, so it wasn't that hard to get there. Um, and if, if you're my friend, you know that. But uh, so that part was easy. I think the hardest part, Trudes, was transitioning from nonfiction to fiction. So before I started writing these, these graphic novels, I had always done like long form creative nonfiction, essay collections, memoirs long interview pieces in magazines that really kind of rode on either things that I was experiencing in real time or people that I was interviewing. And this was an exercise in, I've got a blank page and I can just fill it with whatever I come up with. Um, which as I mentioned before, kind of leans heavily on real life for me. But I don't know, one of, one of my approaches, and I've got so many kids from my church that are here who I love talking to. So shout out kids from my church who I love talking to. Um, and I think one of my approaches with talking to kids has always been, I always just talk to them like they're real people. Like I was never really great with little kids. I could never do like little kid voice and I never really knew how to sort of dial it back and be that guy. I always just talk to them like they were real people and um, they reciprocate. We have some really good kid talkers in our church. So I think I wrote the story just how I would normally write it. And I sort of let editors dial back any vocab that would be too out there for a little kid. And, and with this one, we kind of had to dial it back ourselves. Um, but by the third one, I think I was used to doing it. But making the leap from nonfiction to fiction was a bit of a deal. I didn't know if I could do it because I always saw myself as more of a nonfiction guy. But I, I actually, I enjoy the freedom that it provides. Um, I really would love to do more of it, especially as I get older. Great questions. Others? Yeah. First of all, thank you for uh, explaining the flexing thing. I'll tell the other faculty you've always apparently done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do I do that in the office? Yeah. Do those dark windows on the studio? You know, a bit of a deal. But... Uh, <laughs> Is there a correlation between the jump to fiction and the graphic novel? Because I, I, I just kind of noticed that that you know those happened at the same time. So was that? Yeah. Are they linked? Or are they? Or did that just happen? So yeah, actually, before that, right around when we moved to Jackson, so this would be eight nine years ago, I had a random like Chinese textbook publisher reach out to me, and they wanted fifty little kid books for like Chinese kids who were trying to learn English. And they contracted me to write these, and they would send me a list of vocab words, 
And the only parameter was that the books had to have a boy named Lili and his imaginary robot brother named Quan. So for a while, for like a year, I was writing these Lili and Quan kids' books where I'd get the most random assortment of vocab words like, you know, rucksack and highway and, you know, doorknob and all these things that I had to like work into these stories. And it was actually for a writer, like the best kind of story problem where it's like, I've got a little bit of guardrail, but I can really just go ham on it and write my own stories and have fun with it. And I remember I submitted all these and I sent them off and to KK, I was like, we're never going to see these things. We'll be lucky if we see the paycheck, right? But the paycheck came. And then like a year later, I got this box set, shout out box sets, of these Lili and Quan like Chinese stories. And I remember telling her and my agent, I said to my agent, like, that was one of the funnest things I've ever done. And if you can ever get me something else like that, I would be in your debt because I, I enjoyed it. And then about a year later, this Christian book publisher, Harvest House, they were trying to get into like graphic novels for kids. And they asked me if I wanted to write one. And I said, yes, but I said, there's not going to be any fantastical created worlds. I'm not going to do some kind of like Tolkienian ripoff because like my mind doesn't work that way. I don't think I'm that creative. And uh, I was just like, I'm going to write about a kid in school and the, the stuff that happens to like real kids and families in school. So the first one's about, uh, it's called The Extraordinary Life of a Mediocre Jock. Um, it's a, about a very mediocre middle school football player, which may or may, or may not be autobiographical. Um, the second one is called The Outstanding Life of an Awkward Theater Kid, um, which is about a thing that happened to Tristan. Um, his freshman year, he was going to a classical school. One of the requirements was to do a Shakespeare play that was roughly nine hours long called A Winter's Tale. And... He got cast as the lead in the play because I think in the pantheon of boys at Augustine at that time, he had the only neck that was capable of like holding up a crown for six hours on stage. <laughs> He's got a bit of a thick neck, not going to lie. Um, so he gets cast as, hey, Layla, um, as Leontes in A Winter's Tale. And I'm excited and I'm trying to like encourage him and we pre-gamed by watching the Leo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet, which is wildly erotic, as it turns out. Way too much for a ninth grader. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, but anyway, we did all that. And come to find out, like, a couple of weeks before the production, I could sense in him, and when you're a parent, you can see this stuff in your kids. He was really tense. He was really stressed. And he was really miserable. And finally, I was like, dude, what's, what's going on? Like, you're different. Um, and he's like, I got to be honest with you, I haven't studied these lines at all. So then we started like hitting energy drinks and pulling all-nighters and doing like Rocky Four training montages with this, <laughs> with this script, which was miserable for me and everyone who had to watch it, I'm sure. But uh, watching him in that play that night was as nervous as I've ever been as a parent. And he's been an athlete his whole life, so I've watched him play football and basketball and track but I've never been that scared. I was terrified for him. Uh, and he got through it. Um, he did leave out some lines, which we in the audience were all really grateful for. So um, it shortened the play a smidge. But, uh, but we got through it. That became the outstanding life of an awkward theater kid. There was kind of a foil um, in there named Actor Boy, who was based on a guy we went to college with, who I was low-key threatened by. This guy, who we called Actor Boy, who I called Actor Boy derisively in college because I was intimidated by him 
he would do the thing where like, you know how when you, you go to Europe one time in your life and you come back with like a fake accent and you're doing like air kisses on people? <laughs> like he would run into KK in the hallways and do the air kiss on her and I was like, dude, don't, all right? <laughs> Actor boy, step off. And uh, so Actor boy made his way into the story and uh, we, had, we had fun with it. And then this one is about the cat, obviously. Um, fun stuff. Other questions? Yeah. So how long did it take from when you started writing to, get, to finish? And also mm -hmm. for the illustration, same thing. Once he turned over the story to you, how long did it take you to do all the illustrations? Meg, how long did it take you? I feel like they were flying in like really quick. Oh, man. I think I started in the spring, and we had a deadline at the beginning of August. So it was basically like over the summer. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was able to be quick because I did them all digitally, so it was really easy to just... Yeah. Send them off, get some, get some feedback, and, which was usually Baby, how long did it take me to write this? And when did I write it? Do you remember? Was it like a summer or like a January? I might have done this in January, a year or two ago. It was definitely after the situation where Carla and I almost got the shout out. Dude, shout out Carla. Let's clap it up for Carla, my good friend. Carla gets a shout out in this book as the lady who almost lets the, or does let the cat out of the door in this case, but um, we love Carla. So she's the villain? She's, yeah, you could say that, like, I didn't want to use the word villain, but, you know, in a way, yeah. No, she's not the villain, dude. Carla could never be the villain, but um, no, I think I wrote it, I went pretty fast on this one, because I was, like, showing you pages every couple days, and I was excited, and I always go through these, like, kind of emotional peaks and valleys, maybe all writers do this, where I'll say to you probably two to three times a year, I think that's it. I think I'm dried up. I think I've done all I'm going to do in this business. I'll never write another thing. And then like three weeks later, I'm, you know, knee deep in some new project that I'm excited about. And uh, this was one of those that was like just nourishing. And, you know, as a writer, you make your living in different ways. And one of the ways that that I've made it the last few years, in addition to teaching here, has been ghostwriting. And ghostwriting is among the more, I guess, soul-sucking and just mechanical ways to make a living as a writer. Um, when you ghostwrite, um, you're writing a book for a famous person who often has nothing to say at all and doesn't know how to write. And it's hard, but it's mechanical and it's a good way to get a paycheck. So this was like the opposite of that, in that like it was nourishing, it was fun. I got to throw love to all kinds of people and hat tip a bunch of people. And um, it's what I needed, you know, which is why we've always kind of had our company. Um, Zach is a novelist as well. Uh, he has three traditionally published novels and kind of navigating traditional publishing together. We realized we need to have a company so that we can do our own stuff from time to time and do it our way. And um, it's been fun to do that over the years. Yeah. I was curious about that, that notion of doing it your way. You said you've done the two other books in this one. Yeah. You had freedoms and mm -hmm. maybe not limitations of the other two. Could you go into that a bit more? Yeah. So anytime you, pu you publish traditionally, you get a lot from it, right? And namely what you get from it is an advance check. Sure. So you get some money up front, but you also get the promise of distribution and marketing. So when you publish traditionally, they're getting your book into, you know, the mall and bricks and mortar stores and, and, you know, ostensibly putting some marketing energy behind it, although that's changing. And 
you know, the advantage for us was we both kind of had platforms from all these years of traditional publishing. We had our podcasts and it made it so that we could kind of take a swing on doing books on our own and selling them due to the fact that we had, you know, paid our dues all these years for a decade doing traditional books. So um, what, what you lose in traditional publishing is all the freedom, right? So even with the best traditional publisher, you have an editor who's kind of like, yeah, you can't make that joke. Um, you know, this isn't going to play with our audience. Can you change it? So you're always making these little compromises, which aren't all bad. Um, but the advantage to this was we lose a little bit on the distribution and marketing side, but we get total creative freedom. And by God's grace, I don't have to make my living at this anymore. So I don't have to like do two and a half books every year just to feed the family. And I can kind of slow burn them a little bit more. Uh, do them exactly the way we want them. We could hire the artists that we wanted, um, which hopefully this work for you is a bit of a launch pad, right? Hopefully it provides, you know, a, a nudge the next thing and the next thing after that. And, you know, her career is going to be massive. Um, you know, Megan is a, is a talent. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where she goes. Um, but yeah, good question. Yeah. Okay. So... But I want to know that as a writer and also as an illustrator, what does it look for this book to be a raving success? Like, yeah. what are your wildest hopes and dreams for this book? Go for it. Oh, the question is, what are your wildest hopes and dreams for this book? <laughs> what does it look like? I've been shirking, Zach, my responsibility for a little bit, but we're, we're back on board now. Uh, just uh -huh. lots of cash. <laughs> so um, much cash. Yeah. Raining from the heavens. <laughs> um... I don't know. I just thought people would enjoy it, I guess, and and if my illustrations can like bring a certain like heartfeltness and and have it like last with people and um, even yeah. with kids, just have it be a memory. I think that would be good. For me. That would be really good. I think you and I both have, and KK has this, and almost everybody I know in this room, come to think of it, has this. We have this relationship with books that's really affectionate. And books, they live in our homes, they live in our office, they're kind of mile markers or artifacts in our lives, but also they indicate what we like. And in indicating what we like, they indicate what we are like. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, being given books when I was a kid, my dad was a pilot, he would go on these trips and he'd come home with a book uh, that he thought I would like. So I've, I've always loved them and they've always meant a lot to me. So if a book that we write or illustrate can mean a lot to somebody in that way, that would be very special. But I also think business-wise, so like raising two boys and having one of them be a sophomore here now and one of them be a sophomore in high school, like we put all of our reps in with like Pixar movies and, and all the animated features and stuff growing up. And I think these have like a certain Pixar-ish energy where if somebody would put it on the screen it has that aspect of like being a lot of fun and being tender for the kids, but also being fun. And we're getting jokes off from mom and dad too. And um, I think they have that kind of energy. And, you know, I've got my agent doing some looking around for like Christian animators and, you know, who knows, dude. I mean, you put a dozen hooks in the water as a writer and maybe one and a half of them hit in your life. But um, you never know. We like taking big swings. We like having fun, seeing where things go. And that would be that would be like Apex Mountain for how good it could do 
Well, and then I'd be just a wildly decadent person, and you know, you wouldn't even know me then, sidecar. You know, what would we do together besides mountains of cocaine and just all kinds of decadence? But uh, it'd be crazy. I'm just kidding about the cocaine. <laughs> Dub, if you're listening, <laughs> and I know you are, uh, Zach. <laughs> Go. One of them is, what are the odds we get a Shebu song based on the Flex stories? Uh, so for the, the Pixar movie, I was thinking. For the Pixar movie, that would be incredible. So Zach's alluding to a pop song that I did with a student a couple years ago. Uh, our band was called Shebu, which is French for hair. Um, the song's called Caution to the Wind. Uh, it's a very traditional center cup pop song. And it actually gets a shout out in here. It's a plot point. Um, and an illustration. And an illustration. Yeah, so Davis and I actually get an illustration in the book and a little shout out to Shebu's Caution of the Wind because uh, the cat hears a few bars of it when she's with Shulam and she's like flexing that song and that helps get her home. So uh, I could see it, dude. I could see it on the soundtrack. As far as new Shebu projects, I don't know. We got a little bro country track in uh, in production right now called We Don't Do That Up Here. So maybe if the, yeah, a little bro country, baby, that's for you. That's for that Dyersburg crowd that we know all too well. I know how you guys roll, but uh, but no, hopefully we can, we can make a little more music. And when I say we, it's primarily him. I just make the ideas and he does everything else. Um, others. This is fun. Yeah, as far as like the creative process goes, <clears throat> um, was there any back and forth with like, like you had the story written, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. while you were illustrating, was there ever like a time when you had to like get in touch with them on certain things, how they worked, and, like, <laughs> how you wanted to talk about like, that sort of thing? Um, I expected there to be, but there really wasn't, which was great because I didn't have to worry about waiting to hear back for approval before I could continue. That's always in other traditional illustrating projects I've done, that's always kind of been a little bit of a hiccup in the process. Um. Dude, the only back and forth I remember is when I realized that I had used my atheist English teacher's real name in all the drafts, oh, yeah. just somewhat lazily, <laughs> intending to change it, but then I had never changed it. <laughs> and then we started getting drawings back, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. You know? <laughs> so then I had you change yeah. the name. And, that's, uh, true. That's, that, the, that's the one point of feedback I got. That, that was well done by you. Thanks for being flexible. Yeah. Nick. Are you going to write another book? Honestly? Man, I hope so. Um, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> Dude, shout out Maxwell. Um, yeah, I don't know. I hope so. I really would love to. And Zach, we were talking about it tonight. Like, what would it be if I did another one in this series? Um, and this is, this is kind of foundational for any writer. So for you guys, too, like you're looking for themes, right? You're looking for themes or ideas. So with Mediocre Jock, it's like, can I still love the Lord if the Lord doesn't allow all my dreams to come true, right? Which is pretty foundational and pretty huge. And it's actually, the kid was in middle school in the book, but the kid was in college in real life when all that started to kind of tumble to the ground for me, and I had to figure out if the Lord was still good. Um, so that was the first one. The second one, really, the theme was, what do we do when we're scared? You know, do we run away? Do we cower? Do we, do we lean in? Do we problem solve? Uh, roll, roll up our sleeves. And um, 
you know, and the theme of this one obviously is, is the Lord still good when a bad thing happens? And so I would be looking, Nick, for another big theme. Um, and maybe it would be, you know, falling in love. Maybe it would be, what does it look like to relate to somebody um, and trust somebody and be in a relationship with somebody for a, a longer period of time? I mean, maybe that would be the book in that that's the, you know, besides knowing Christ, it's the second biggest thing that's happened in my life. So maybe we write about that. Maybe it's the like the Nora Ephron homage that I've always wanted to write, like the, the rom-com idea that, that we've always had. Maybe we, maybe we do that one. Maybe we write the graphic novel version of Caution to the Wind. Maybe in the book I actually do drive to Arkansas. <laughs> huh? Be fun. Um, yeah, yeah. It'll have some violence in it. It'll be like John Wick 4, you know. <laughs> on a sidecar. Yeah, on a sidecar, dude. I'll ride with you. I could give a shout out to, if you listen to my podcast, this is Sidecar Willie. I was the nemesis for like 10 minutes. Dude, you were a 10 minute nem, 10 yeah. minute nemesis turned friends. Um, and now Sidecar is, is one, of my, one of my favorites. Great dude. I'm feeling something. Let's give one of those to Nick. How many, how many like, original illustrations do we have to give away? Uh, three. Three? I'm going to give two away right now, really? and I'll explain why. Um, so you pick any two. Actually, I got all three. I'm going to give all three away. There's four here, baby. Yeah, no, you, you can only – actually, you, know, you can only give away two. Okay. You have to give two to Kickstarters. Oh, okay. I got so you. So they get to choose from yeah. them. I got you. I got you. you. Three to Kickstarters. It's yeah. Fine. All right. Let me, let me give this some thought. All right, we got Jagger, we got Flex and Pops. Oh, dude, I love that one. Um, Nick, I'm going to give you this one uh, because of all the dudes that I know, you're one of the few who cares about my career and would ask about the progress on this book. And I thought that was really sweet. So let's clap it up for Nick. Much the same way, uh, Maxwell, same deal, man. Um, really cared about the book, really like genuinely enjoyed the other books. I would get pictures from time to time from your parents of you reading the books and asking when the next one was going to come out, um, which I appreciate, man, because at the end of the day, like we alluded to before, like really my love of people loving my books was born of me loving other people's books when I was a kid mm -hmm. and they would come into the bed and I'd read them by the, you know, the light of the moon and all that stuff. And you, you have this relationship with them that, that lasts forever. So, uh, Maxwell, um, come and get it. Let's clap it up for my boy, Maxwell. <laughs> all right, let's do this. Um, this has been super fun. Thank you all for coming. Uh, we have a book table. Everything's 10 bucks. Uh, I can sign them. Meg can sign them. And, you know, come and grab a book. Don't grab a book. No pressure. Uh, but come say hello. It's a privilege to spend an evening with you all with friends. Uh, this is what it's all about. And this is why you do creative stuff. It's fun. So thanks to you all for doing this. Megan, let's clap it up for Megan Barada. I almost called you by your, your maiden name. We'll go to the book table. Then pay phone at your best friend.